0: Hi, I'm Kim Carson
1: and I'm Peter Klein
0: and this is We Had No Idea,
1: episode 18.
0: Ooh, we should have cracked a beer off the top. We can drink now.
1: <laughs> in this province. Once again, different in Saskatchewan. Ah,
0: oh, dang it. Okay. <laughs> we come to you from Mokinsis, and we acknowledge that we get the privilege of living and producing this show on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Tsutsina Nations, the Iahe Nakoda Nations, the Métis Nation Region 3, and all people who make their homes on the Treaty 7 region of southern Alberta. You can find out what native lands you're on by looking at native Land. .ca.
1: Our sources for the show today, blogs.scientificamericans.com, nomadsworld.com, the documentary of Killer Tigers of India by National Geographic on YouTube, y.unesco.org, nationalgeographic.com, and australangeo- uh, geographic.com. uh,
0: Thank you for downloading. This episode comes at the recommendation from a couple friends. We're going to cover... Two, uh, two. I I don't know if I I want to call it like nature versus people or like when animals strike back or what would we call this?
1: Yeah, that's. I don't know. I think nature versus people. The problem is like one of these is hilarious and one of these is like oh.
0: Is like fucking nightmare fuel. Dang
1: yes yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> So,
0: um,
1: yeah, to to put them both under the same umbrella with one title would be a a difficult difficult task, I think.
0: Maybe we should call this episode Nature is Scary. Right, yeah. Because that, I mean, that kind of sums both of them up. It
1: does, yeah. No, I think that one works. Yeah, Nature is Scary.
0: (laughs) Uh, So, yes, thank you for downloading. Uh, We are very happy to have hit the legal drinking limit age in Alberta of episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, we really appreciate it this has been lots of fun to do. We've learned a lot and we hope that you have too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's been fun doing these so far. And this one, this was one that fit the name perfectly. I, I didn't know literally anything about either of these things going <laughs> into neither. the week. So.
0: Um, okay. Well, I guess without further ado, why don't we talk about Tiger Island sure. in India?
1: Yeah. Um, it is in the Sundarbans region in India, they are tiny islands divided and mixed with mangrove forests that spread from West India into Bangladesh, at the mouth of the Ganges River, one of the highest concentration of wild tigers. They hunt, they kill, and they eat humans. Uh, one, of the ti- one of the quotes from this was, when you're in a place like this, Humans aren't the dominant. Mm -hmm. The humans live on the edge of a tiger reserve. Most of the villagers in the area fish or collect honey to make a living. And of course, the best honey is in the forests of the tiger reserve. Mm -hmm. And when you go fishing, you're right around the area of the tigers of the tiger reserve. Yeah. No one knows how many people have been killed by tigers. Many of the deaths aren't reported and the bodies are rarely found as the tigers go deep into the woods to devour them.
0: Yeah, I think in that documentary it said... Um, about a thousand, but again, like nobody. Right. I mean, (laughs) who are you going to ask?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: People just go missing and you're like, "Mm, tigers, I
1: guess? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Uh, one interview in this, the, um, the YouTube documentary by National Geographic said, everyone here has someone from their family who has been killed by a tiger. Mostly what the tigers do is attack from the back or the right side. So most of the survivors have right scalp, right hand and back injuries. It is rare to survive an attack though.
1: A report from a survivor said that he was crab fishing deep in the jungle and a tiger came out of the forest and jumped into the river at the fisherman's boat. The tiger swiped and the force of it knocked him off of the boat. Once in the water, the tiger tried to bite the back of his neck, but it couldn't get a good grip, so its teeth just skinned the, to- the soft tissue of this guy's head. Dude. That sounds like the most horrifying <laughs> oh my thing. God.
0: Like, it, just imagine you're like, do-do-do, looking for crabs, and then you're floating on your boat and a tiger just pops out of the forest and is like, I'm going to ruin your fucking day.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the, the people of this island say that without a god's blessing, a tiger attack is a certainty. In Indian legend, a fort that dominates the park was a gift from the gods.
0: Hmm. They showed a honey gathering uh, expedition, and it looks like the people are being sent off to war. There was like offerings to gods and the prayer as we said um just for like a safe return but it seemed like a very solemn occasion uh and census tight uh census takers i almost said census tigers <laughs> <laughs> jeez They're killer tigers, and they're here to ask you some questions. Uh, Census takers will wear, like, spiked helmets and spiked collars, Mm -hmm. basically covered armor before they go into this tiger reserve. And I I don't know if it's necessarily reserve, but that's kind of the best way to describe it. There's, like, fences, and, yeah, I'm not sure if it's quite a reserve or if it's, like, (laughs) don't go in here because these tigers will kill you. Right. Um. They wear a mask. It's not like a
1: zoo or anything like that. Like, it's not like a a sanctuary. Yeah, it's not like... They they hunt on their own, as we are quite obviously describing (laughs) right now.
0: Um, Some people wear a mask on the back of their heads to make the tiger think that they're facing them. Um, And the story out there is tigers only attack people from behind, never at the face. So I guess if you have a mask on the back of your head, like, the tigers might tricked but it sounds like rarely Mm -hmm. it works it it
1: sounded like it worked for a bit and then the tigers were like well i guess we have to attack from the front then and just started ripping them apart anyway
0: i'm a tiger with sharp pointy edges yeah
1: um the, the the one i don't know it's certainly not saving grace it's kind of a well I mean, at least there's this. Silver lining. Um, They do believe tigers in the area are smaller than in other parts because the prey in the area is a lot smaller as well. Like tigers in this spot weigh, I think they said in the documentary, about 150 pounds less than regular big cats in in other parts of the world. And that's just because there's only like little animals hanging around the area, except for the people. And that is one of many, many... Many theories as to why tigers started hunting humans is that they were the biggest things around and they needed food. So Mm -hmm. that's what happens.
0: There is a core zone uh, of this like, quote unquote, reserve that people are not allowed in. The government patrols this area. A group of people uh, snuck in and a single tiger attacked and killed three men. In this one incident.
1: Yeah, and they said that's really rare. Like normally it's just like they kill one, then they drag them off. But this one killing three yeah. was just kind of a, hey, what, what is actually... You
0: came into my house.
1: Yeah, exactly. The, the interesting note about this is that other tiger reserves in the area don't have the same problem. Uh, Bangdakar is on the edge of a reserve. They raise uh, livestock, but the people can't remember the last time there was a person that was attacked. And there is one tiger in there. I think they call him B2. There's one tiger in the area, killed a cow, dragged it for miles, literally threw it over a fence, and then ate it. But he's never attacked people. So like this is obviously not a wounded animal or anything like that. It's just for whatever reason, the ones in this area are aren't so focused on the people as much as right. they are some of the other things that are going on. So, this has caused there to be a number of theories as to why, okay, just a few miles that way, it's not a problem.
0: It's man-eating tigers. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, over there, they're livestock and it's whatever. Over here, like you said, they're, they're man-eaters. Um... One theory is that the salt water is hurting the tigers and making them mad. Another theory is that their scent markers are constantly getting washed away because of rising water, rising and falling water levels in that area, and that's making them mad. Another is that a tiger initially mistook... Uh, mistook? Mistaken? Mist-
0: uh, whatever you feel is right, I'm sure is right.
1: Another is that a tiger thought a person was <laughs> deer... Killed it, realized it wasn't, ate it anyway, and then got a taste
0: for it. The final theory is that this region gets hit by... Well, this isn't a theory. This region gets hit by cyclones. Yes, that part is not
1: theorized. (laughs) The theory is, is, though...
0: (laughs) is that thousands of people die in these cyclones and their bodies wash up in the water where the tigers can eat them and they get the taste for people that way. There was in the Sunderbins in May, 2020, a super cyclone that was moving at around 130 kilometers per hour, which devastated local livelihoods and infrastructure. And about 80% of the existed of the existing tiger fencing in the Sunderbins area is now damaged because of this cyclone. So the netting split, the bamboo poles were uprooted, and the situation is even further exacerbated by the pandemic because many locals who migrated into the bigger cities of India are now coming back home to the Sunderbins, which like, why? You got out. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are now coming back home to find work and are in the area and are next to the man-eating tigers
1: who again have little resistance now because of what you just Damaged described. Fencing, yes yeah, totally um it has been the other way around for a while as well as tigers for a long time were hunted by people in, in india um some say that tigers may have passed a taste for human from generation to generation and just kind of that hey fuck off um, notion after being hunted in the 18 and 1900s. But it, it was... The, the National Geographic documentary was interesting because it was basically like 45 minutes of so they're killing everyone and we don't know why. Mm-hmm. And just a bunch of different ways to, to try to figure that one out. And I, I got a a bit of a chuckle out of one of the guys. They, they were saying well maybe tigers are, the tigers are just afraid of the humans and so they're trying to kill them first. And the, the one... I think he had doctor in front of his name, so he's obviously significantly smarter than I am. But he says, well, I mean, they have no reason to fear them. They don't have guns, so I don't know why they would be afraid. And it's like, well, I mean, A, they're probably not, like, they're, they're not tracking them for months and taking inventory yeah, on the no different things. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, oh, damn, there's a thing here. Well, better kill it. Like, the, I, I thought that was, like, they're, they're doing a scouting report on the other side. <laughs> like, oh, well, eh, it's probably not worth it. no. I'm hungry, I'm going to go eat that thing.
0: Yeah, the tigers are like kind of aggression and food motivated and this this guy in the documentary was like, they must not realize that we don't have guns. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> um, the, the one kind of neat part tying this all together is even with everything that is going on, the people in the Sunderbans, even with all of this, believe that the tigers are there to protect the the, the forests. Mm-hmm. Like there doesn't see, like there's genu- genuinely a fear, obviously. And I think they would rather they stop eating their family members. But it wasn't a, we need to kill all of these things, get them yeah. out of here. It was just a, no, we understand. We're not top of the food chain here. That, a res- that was a real, um, real interesting way of looking at things. Yeah. Because like I don't know a, if every other part of the world would do that.
0: Right. A respect and a healthy yes. fear of, of these tigers. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That was part one, I suppose, um, yeah. our, our Tiger Island. I, I had no idea. I, I literally, that this was all brand new to me, learning yeah. about all of this. It was really fascinating to watch. And I can't imagine living in those circumstances. Totally. Another situation that I can't imagine <laughs> living through because it, doing the research on this, Yeah. it all seemed like a comedy movie. Like totally. ev- every bit of this seemed like a Monty Python sketch.
0: So before we get into the emu, do you say emu or emu?
1: Uh, Emu. Emu. That's how I would say it, yeah.
0: All right, cool. So before we get into the emu wars of Australia, I would like to lay some emu knowledge on you. Okay. Emus are the second largest bird in the world. They have two sets of eyelids, one for normal blinking, and then another is a screen to help keep dust out of their eyes. Uh, They can run up to a speed of 50 kilometers an hour... And their coat of feathers makes them resistant to solar radiation, a.k.a. they cannot get sunburned. Uh, They have three front-facing toes that allow them to grip the ground to run quickly. And they also have a very powerful kick. So that's emus.
1: That two eyelids thing really messes me up. Are you
0: blinking? Are you winking? What do you call a four-lid blink?
1: Right. Yeah, you just blink blink? all of them and it's just like... Super like it's like super blank. It's like blackout curtains compared to regular <laughs> curtains. That's crazy to me. Do you think they have to I'm I mean, no that that would be ridiculous. Never mind. What? I was gonna say, like do you have to learn how to use them both or is it just like a natural like we didn't have to learn how to blink, but we right. also we don't have a choose-your-own-adventure going on up there. So. I'm sure
0: that it's just like a muscle reflex, like yeah. how we, like I can use muscles to smile or frown.
1: So it's like the the shield one comes down like those transition lenses. Totally, that it's just like they just sense sense sunlight and they start to to tint a little bit. These do the same. Oh, it's a little bit dusty. We'll just.
0: <laughs> so emus are fast, big, and have transition lenses. Yes. Got it.
1: Yeah, so the Australians were up against it back in the early 1900s. There were a few quotes that were hilarious around this entire thing. One of them from the Sun-Herald back in 1953, uh, this quote saying, If we had a military division with the bullet-carrying capacity of these birds, it would face any army in the world. They can face machine guns with the invulnerability of tanks. So that... Is the respect that is had. That's an emu. For the emus. Sorry, emu. That's fine. In 1953. After World War I, the Australian government was struggling to find work for veterans. So, in 1915, a, quote, soldier settlement scheme was rolled out across the country and eventually had just over 5,000 ex-soldiers given plots of land, which they were to confirm into working, or sorry, convert into working farms primarily for wheat and sheep.
0: Can I just interject? Okay. And say that it is not lost on me that this land was probably taken by the Australian government from indigenous people just like in Canada.
1: Ah. Yes.
0: Where did they get this land from, hm? Just sitting there. <laughs> Uninhabited, mm-hmm. most definitely. There was nothing afoot. Anyways, by September of 1920, the government had purchased, mm. 90,000 hectares for the veterans, but still needed more and started to place the remaining soldiers in some marginal areas uh, near Perth in southwestern Australia. This made things a little bit tough because setting up a prosperous farm with little to no experience in a good area is difficult. But this land was barely usable. On top of that, veterans were put under more pressure when the Great Depression hit in 1929, causing wheat prices to plummet. The government promised subsidies for wheat, but those subsidies never came.
1: It's like, sorry, we thought we were giving you this great thing, but now it's turned into an impossible task, and uh, them's them's the brakes, kids. You
0: know, as somebody who also had a dirt garden recently... (laughs) a squirrel took all the seeds out of my garden. Mm-hmm. So I was just watering dirt for two months. And I feel like that's what these farmers felt like. Just Probably. watering dirt. Yes.
1: Yeah. Only for <laughs> 90,000 hectares.
0: Yeah. Only just for like a lot instead of a garden box.
1: mm mm-hmm. um, And this is where our, I, I guess, uh, protagonist comes in. <laughs> <laughs> As tens of thousands of emus came in, they had been a protective, na- uh, protected native species up until 1922, when they made such a nuisance of themselves on the wheat farms. Flattening crops eating them down to the stub that they were actually reclassified as vermin Uh, One of the things they would also do would be damage fences allowing rabbits to come in So it was a real tag team effort. Yeah by 1932 there were 20,000 of them causing a lot of problems on the new wheat farms and Even the veterans trained riflemen could not put a dent in the numbers bounties were put on their beaks, but (laughs) apparently it didn't even matter so led by Major G.P.W. Meredith of the 7th Heavy Battery of the Royal Australian Artillery.
0: Put that on a name tag. Right,
1: exactly. (laughs) Um, The army set out on November 2nd, 1932, determined to gun down a group of 50 birds in the district of, I believe it's Campion?
0: Like 50 emus.
1: Yes. (laughs) Right, brought in the army. You start small. You know you gotta. If totally. you're dealing with twenty thousand of them, like just start small and 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 work work your way up. Yeah. Um, the birds were out of the range of the guns, so the locals attempted to herd the emus into an ambush. However, the birds split into small groups, and the emus answered their organized assault with chaos, scattering themselves <laughs> in all directions to minimize the casualties. The first series of shots fired were ineffective because of how far away they were a second round of gunfire was able to kill quote a number of birds vague for a reason later the same day a small flock was encountered and quote perhaps a dozen birds were killed
0: (laughs) two days later concealed gunners sighted 1000 emus so definitely gonna make a bigger dent than 50 yes uh, they sighted a thousand emus nearby and waited patiently for them to make their way over at point blank range. The soldiers opened fire, killing maybe t- ten or twelve Ooh. of the one thousand emus. <laughs> 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 but then their machine gun jammed. The and emus.
1: This is where it starts to seem like a montage. This is on definitely like, like all right, we got them. And thuk.
0: what's that? What's that? Um, there's a song that plays, and people are, like, running into different rooms, and they come out chasing. Oh, That's what happens here. Yes. That song just starts playing for no good reason throughout the Australian yeah. area of Perth, and emus are just, like, ripping around, and people are trying to shoot, and it's like, sometimes the emu has a gun, and sometimes the army has yeah. the guns. Um, okay, so the emus scattered, uh, and once again, literally a thousand of them... Uh, just got away from a literal army. Uh, The media had a field day, quoting one of the recruits as saying, the emus have proved that they are not so stupid as they are usually considered to be. Each mob (laughs) has its leader, always an enormous black plumed bird standing fully six feet high, who keeps watch while his fellows busy themselves with the wheat. At the first suspicious sign, he gives the signal and dozens of heads stretch up out of the crop. A few birds will take fright... Starting a headlong stampede, the leader always remaining until his followers have reached safety. Like,
1: (laughs) we're talking about birds.
0: We're talking about birds in an army.
1: Yeah. Uh, The army tried gunning them down in moving trucks, but found they couldn't aim properly at the speedy birds. Uh, A lone victim rendered himself a bit of a problem all the way to the end as his corpse got tangled up in the vehicle's steering equipment, which caused it to veer off and destroy a huge gap of someone's fence.
0: I'm sure that's, like, exactly the solution this particular farmer was looking for.
1: Right, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, well, good. I mean, I'm glad you got one of the 20,000 emus. Now, if someone could finally (laughs) rebuild my fence, that would be... Just the, the most spectacular thing that you could possibly do.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: In the Journal of Australian Studies, Murray Johnson writes, On the 8th of November, it was reported that Major Meredith's party had used 25,000 rounds of ammunition, 25% of the allotted total, to destroy 200 emus.
0: Now, I'm sorry, I want to interject really quick. Yes. So this is on November 8th? This whole thing started November 2nd. Yeah. Six days.
1: Six days into this.
0: Six days into this war.
1: Yeah. In another quote, Johnson writes, when one New South Wales state labor politician inquired whether a medal was to be struck for those taking part in this war, his federal counterpart in Western Australia responded that they should rightly go to the emus who have won every (laughs) round so far. So you just think about how frustrating this must have been for those veterans. They go to war. Yeah. Um, we haven't done World War One yet. I'm assuming Australia did fine. Um, they come back. <laughs>
0: They're a colony. Here. They probably did.
1: Here. All of this land for you. We don't know how they got it. We're, we're not reporting anything with what you were yeah. saying earlier. Right, that, right. that That is just uh, speculation, That's we shall
0: my say. speculation. Right.
1: But some way, shape, or form, they were blessed with all of this land at the worst time, maybe in human history, to yeah. get that land. Yeah. And now, you have this other thing that is mocking you by destroying what little stuff you have anyway and then you try to kill it and you spend six days as an army person trying to kill it and they're just like nah we're not going down like that i just i can't imagine how frustrating that would be like that that decade plus in your life Mm -hmm. that all of this has gone down
0: and And then politicians are making fun of you and then you sign like just imagine you sign up to be a member of the army as well Mm -hmm. and your downfall is a dinosaur bird
1: Right, yeah, like this Meredith guy. As if. Yeah. (laughs) And then you think you finally got one, and the stupid thing dies and tangles itself up in your car, and you crash into some dude's fence.
0: (laughs) Um, A second campaign was mounted by Major Meredith on November 13th in 1932, which killed a whopping 40 emus. (laughs) A month later, it was reported that 100 emus were being killed every week, But Meredith did the math and found that it took 10 bullets to bring down every single emu. So that's a pretty dismal effort. You're spending 10 10 bullets for one emu. Yeah. So those 100 emus that are killed, it was 1,000 bullets. Uh Uh-huh. Dude. He was recalled. And um, the warrior bird giants, uh, the great emu war had finally come to an end.
1: Um, in the end, it was the instituting of a bounty on emus that proved the most effective. Between 1945 and 1960, over 200,000, almost 300,000 emus mm-hmm. were killed in Western Australia. The biggest solution... This is
0: my favorite. This is my absolute favorite part.
1: The biggest solution to the emu problem was ultimately building better fences. <laughs> <laughs> so, just like picked like, hey, um, while we're like... Firing off tens of thousands of rounds of ammunition yeah. just into the wherever the hell because it's not hitting any emus,
0: yeah, just into the air.
1: Could you guys mix in a pole every now and then, just somewhere along the way? Just like, right, no, like, nothing, fine, whatever.
0: Get some, get some like um chicken wire instead of like wooden boards,
1: yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, so now the emu takes its place uh, of pride on the Australian coat of arms, along with the kangaroo, and it had its status as a protected animal reinstated. Hold on.
1: Can you quickly Google the, like, live, well, live, we're taking okay. it's a podcast, but live. with your reaction here, if it's the same picture I saw, the state, the coat of arms for Australia is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my entire life.
0: <gasps> oh, it's beautiful. Oh my goodness. Look at the emu's leg. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's my favorite part is that both the emu and the kangaroo are just holding this thing as if they are like two of the four power rangers to like get their strength from this thing.
0: <laughs> I like. I really wish that the kangaroo. so emus obviously don't have arms. They have little, little flippy wings, mm-hmm. but the emu is, it looks like the emu is just like roundhouse kicking the coat of arms (laughs) and the kangaroo is like bro i got your back with his little kangaroo arm oh my gosh that's precious um (laughs) anyways the emu is actually australia's national bird it was at the time of
1: (laughs) they had to after the surrender (laughs) treaty that that was one of the the things
0: all praise unto the emu man (laughs) uh the emu population around australia is estimated to be around 600 uh thousand to over 700,000 now and nationally they're classified as of least concern but mm, conservation in the 1915s, <laughs> no they time. were of most concern in the <laughs> yeah. 1930s but conservationists are working to save several wild populations that are at risk of local extinction due to encroaching human activity I think I like emus.
1: Yeah, they're pretty ballin'.
0: Like, if I had to define resiliency to somebody, I would probably just show them a picture of an emu. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is but, what resiliency looks like. Get but it before straight. today,
1: if someone would have said you show the resiliency of an emu, I don't know if I would take that as a compliment. Like, oh, it's a stupid bird that runs into things, probably.
0: <laughs> yeah, it runs into things, but not bullets. Yeah. I'll tell you that.
1: <laughs> this is a real thing that happened. This
0: is a real thing that happened. Either
1: that or Australia is just punking us for the last hundred years now um like they're just oh yeah and then these emus came and uh ate our wheat so we tried to kill them but we couldn't kill them so now they're just our national bird and that's the story of the emu like it, it all seems made up this seems like totally. a family guy episode
0: it seems like it's another have you ever heard of the drop bear no in australia it's like a made up it's it's I think they're just, like, based off of koala bears, okay. but it, it's a drop bear, so it, like, looks kind of like a koala bear, but it falls out of a tree and will, like, rip your face off. But it, it's actually, like, an Australian folklore. But people believe they were like, oh, better watch out for drop bears if you go to Australia. Is that maybe what is happening here with this emu war? Because we were recommended this story by an Australian. So yeah. is he, like, taking the piss?
1: Well, I just, <laughs> I just Googled um is the emu war real and there are a number of notes on it okay uh, but yes yes it is i i, I don't Dang. think i don't think study.com w- would also be right fooled I guess by this
0: <laughs> national geographic also has uh-huh. a story on it so they're they're pretty good yeah pretty but there cool. are message
1: boards being like hey is this a real thing right um because it's I, so
0: ridiculous i
1: like this from wikipedia the emu war also known as the Great Emu War, yeah, because we needed another descriptor on top of the Emu War because mm-hmm. we have such a variety of wars against emus, yeah, that we needed a, a level of specificity that goes beyond the Emu War.
0: I wonder if it's because they called it the Great Emu War because it involved a lot of like World War One vets mm. and World War 1 was the Great War, right? Right. So they were like no war I take part in will not be great. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm not lowering my standards. I'll
0: not lower my st- I'm
1: firing off a <laughs> machine gun at <that> burns. <laughs> oh God, it's so
0: stupid. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Had to. Thank no you Australia idea,
1: for whatever the fuck we just read. Thank you
0: Australia. Yeah. <laughs> I want a a flag with your coat of arms hanging in our little podcast office here because it's so beautiful. Absolutely wonderful. Could you
1: even, like, because this thing ends in 1932 as well.
0: Basically, yeah. We
1: still have a second world war to fight. Can you put a coat of arms with an emu up in whatever military thing you have? Like that—that that seems like bad karma to me. Like, oh. hey, this is the this is a reminder of our great defeat, <laughs> our great accomplishments. We can, we cannot, we cannot have that hanging in here as a reminder of that time we failed.
0: I thought you were actually about to ask if, in World War Two, they were like, you know what, we need to utilize the <laughs> emu. We're sending our troops, they which are emus. Like, they
1: just look like something from Star Wars riding in.
0: Totally. Oh my goodness! Thank you so much for downloading this episode. We had a really great time learning about these um, these nature strikes back and uh, nature is scary yeah. topics.
1: Nature Strikes Back is a good way of putting
0: it. Nature Strikes Back, okay. Yeah. That's what we'll call it. So if you're listening to this, you already know what we called it, but, right, but we, now, but we now have now not privy, decided.
1: Now you're privy to the decision-making process that yeah. that, that came about. It. Also, another part of the decision-making process, I don't know if we've talked about it at all. What are we doing next week?
0: Quelle surprise.
1: Ah, tune in to find out.
0: <laughs> Thank you for downloading. Uh, you can send us an email at we had no idea podcast at gmail.com. You know, if you want to just like let us know how organized and uh, consistent our episodes are, <laughs> we would love to hear. Uh, you can also hit us up on Instagram. We are at we had no idea podcast.
1: But also, if you want something covered, I mean, now is the time to just like fire off a suggestion because like the couple of these had to wait a while. But now you you can just jump right to the front of the line if you're one of the the first people in with a a suggestion. So, yes, uh, rate, review, subscribe wherever possible. Um, Get in contact with the show in all the ways that Kim mentioned.
0: And uh, one of the reasons we maybe have not talked about what we are doing next week is because we became an aunt and an uncle over the weekend. Yeah. How exciting. So um, shout out to my sister, Sam. Congrats on pushing out a kid, growing a kid, pushing out a kid. Mm -hmm. And um, we absolutely love little Kailani already. And we hope that one day she will not need to listen to our podcast because she is a human genius.
1: Right. And knows everything about the emu. (laughs) And
0: knows everything about the emu. The great emu. (laughs) Okay, goodbye. Bye. How was that? Good. Okay, sweet.